You know, I wrote an article in the Herald this month about Isaiah, our two-year-old, and how he follows my wife around from room to room as she goes throughout her day trying to get her work done, and he's her little helper, as she calls him, and he, he mimics her. He even acts like her and uses phrases that she uses, and I said in the article that this act of following and acting like someone can be described as discipleship. And all year long in 2019, we're going to be focusing on this act of following Jesus in order to become more like him, being conformed to his image, which is discipleship. And today we get to look at a great passage in John chapter 1 about the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him, not in order to know what he knows, but in order to become like him. So we're going to continue to walk through the Gospel of John. We started in December with the first 18 verses in this book, which are this beautiful prologue to the whole Gospel of John, this real fanciful language about the majesty of the pre-existent logos, the Word of God, who was with God and who was God and who took on flesh and came into our neighborhood, moved into our neighborhood in order to show us the grace and truth of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to dive into today uh, the the first week of Jesus' public ministry. Last week we covered the first two days of Jesus' first week of ministry. And looking at John 1, you can actually put together a timeline of the first seven days that Jesus began his ministry on earth. We covered those first two days in verses 19 to 34. The first day, we remember we talked about the delegation from Jerusalem that came and said, what in the world is going on out in the desert with this wild man, John the Baptist? And then the second day, Jesus shows up at the river and John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So today we're going to cover, in verse 35 through 51, we're going to cover day three, day four, and day five in Jesus' ministry. So will you stand with me this morning, if you're able to, in honor of God's word, as I read our text for this morning, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. As you can see, we're, we're trying to cover the whole Gospel of John in a year, so we're taking a little bigger chunks of Scripture now at a time as we go through each week. Let's re recap what just happened. Here we have John the Baptist basically leading Andrew and another disciple to Jesus. Most scholars think that the other disciple that's mentioned here was none other than John, the writer of this gospel. And it's interesting that they were already disciples of John the Baptist. They were following John the Baptist, but John the Baptist points them to Jesus and says, that's the one you need to follow, not me. It's, it's cool that we get this insight in the gospel of John that some of the disciples of Jesus were actually first disciples of John the Baptist. And so you see that, that he points to Jesus and says, don't follow me, follow him. Then the next day, the fourth day, that was day three, on the fourth day, Andrew runs and gets his brother Simon, who's going to be renamed Peter by Jesus, and he brings him to Jesus. And Peter had no idea how much his life was about to change forever at that point, did he? And finally, on the fifth day, Jesus goes to Galilee, up in the northern region of Judea, and he he finds Philip, who finds Nathaniel, who brings him to Jesus. So one takeaway you can immediately see from the text is that people are, are bringing people to Jesus. You see that clearly, that they're bringing these people to Jesus. Why? So they can follow him, so they can become disciples of this great rabbi. Let me ask a question right there then. What is our mission as a church? What's our purpose as the body of Christ, why are we here? Why, why do we exist? Why doesn't God just call us all home and instead he leaves us here for a time? Why? Some of our staff was at a conference a, a few months ago and we were talking about mission and purpose and vision and values and all those kinds of fun things. And the guy who was leading the conference said, look, you don't get to rewrite the mission, right, of your church. You don't get to, to make up your own mission. Jesus has given us the mission. He's given us the mission and our purpose in two great commandments and in one great commission. Do you know what they are? You know what the great commandments are? The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all that we are. And then the second one is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what's the great commission? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus taught us. Love God, we call that what? Worship. To love God with all that you are, that's our first purpose as a church. We got those triangles, there they are. To worship God, to love him with all that we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves, we call that ministry. This church does a great job of loving our neighbors and loving our, our, our own people really well and taking care of other people and ministering to them. 
Make disciples. That's what we see in this text here. Making disciples. We call that evangelism. Add them to the body of Christ through baptism. Once they become part of the the fellowship here. That's the next one. We baptize people into fellowship of not just Woodmont Baptist Church, but the body of Christ. And then teach them to be more like Jesus. That's discipleship, the blue triangle. Love God, love others, make disciples. That's really our mission, if you want to boil it down to that. We were talking in finance committee this morning about our mission as a church. That's it. Love God, love others, make disciples. That's why we're here. Anything else that our church does that doesn't do those things, we should probably seriously reevaluate it. Here in our text, we see some prime examples of disciple making. This is a whole story about disciples that are being made, people who become followers of Jesus. First, we see John the Baptist making disciples, not of himself, but of Jesus, pointing to Jesus and saying, follow him. And then we see Andrew run and grab his brother, Simon, and say, we found him. We found the Messiah, the Mashiach that the, the Old Testament talks about. The anointed one who's come to save us is here. And he makes a disciple out of his brother. And then we see Jesus making disciples. The text says that he found Philip in Bethsaida and invited him to follow him as a disciple. And then finally, we see Philip making disciples at the end. He, he runs and finds Nathaniel and brings him to Jesus. I, I think new believers are often the most fired up about evangelism. They're, they're, they're some of the most effective soul winners in, in bringing other people to Christ. And, and those of us who've been followers of Jesus for you know, most of our lives, sometimes we lose that zeal and enthusiasm. When I was in Australia back in 2003 in that summer, I was you know, a young college student and working with this small church, a Baptist church outside of Sydney. And there was a man named Eric in that congregation. Eric was 72 years old. He was a, a widower. He got saved that year that I came at 72 years old. And he was on fire for the Lord. And he wanted everyone to know it. The guy that bagged his groceries, the, the lady who delivered his, his post, they, they don't say mail, they say post in Australia. The, all these people that he encountered throughout his life, he told them about the good news of Jesus Christ. He wanted everyone to share in that new life that he had found that was revolutionizing everything about him. He brought new friends to church almost every week, people that he invited to come and hear the good news of Jesus. And, and making disciples isn't rocket science, right? We tend to overcomplicate, I think, what it means to make disciples. It's not something just for super Christians or for pastors to be doing. Everyone who's a Christ follower, it's your mission. It's your purpose. It's, it's why you're here, both as individuals and as a church, why Woodmont Baptist is here. We see a, a pattern in, in, in this text for today of bringing people to Jesus, pointing to Christ, inviting others to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. So let me ask this question. When was the last time that you or I invited someone to come and hear about Jesus? Invited them to a Bible study or to church or whatever it may be. When was the last time that you prayed for someone that you know who's lost or searching and desperately needs to hear the the good news of Jesus? 
You don't have to have all the answers or, or, or even be some, you know, on fire telling your grocery clerk and everybody about the, the gospel like Eric was. The great reformer, John Calvin, when he was writing his commentary on John, he looks at this text and he says, Andrew, the, the disciple here, scarcely had one spark, yet through it, he enlightens his brother, who would become part of the inner circle of Jesus' own disciples. Think about the candles at our Christmas Eve service. The light from one Christ candle multiplies rapidly throughout this sanctuary until the whole place was lit up. We had, you know, five or six hundred people here at Christmas Eve, and within 30 seconds, the whole place was lit with candlelight. That one spark of enlightenment is all we need. And of course, not everyone will be excited or receptive to hear the gospel. Not everyone says, oh, great, that's, that's wonderful news about Jesus. I want to follow him as Lord now. It doesn't always work that way. Some people will be like Nathaniel. Nathaniel here is an educated Jewish man, and he pretty much says what he thinks, whatever's on his mind. That's why Jesus says there's no deceit in him. He is guileless. When Philip comes running and exclaims that they've found this long foretold Messiah, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel's response is, really? <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's an elitist statement, isn't it? When I moved to Birmingham to go to Beeson Divinity School for the first time, I, I'd, I'd been born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and I Really, Franklin, I, I spent my, my growing up years in Franklin, but we attended church downtown at First Baptist Nashville. My folks both worked at the Lifeway Tower at Ninth and Commerce, and I would go down there and have lunch with them. And I, I figured I was pretty sophisticated, a pretty cultured, educated. I went to Belmont University on Music Row there. And so moving to Birmingham, uh, I, I needed some roommates and a place to live, and, and Beeson hooked me up with three guys that were from L.A., when I say L.A., I mean lower Alabama, okay? It's, uh, you know those towns you drive through on the way to the beach, like Elba and Op and Andalusia, those places? That's where these guys were from. They, like, built their own cars. Stuff. I don't know how to do anything. Like, you know, the brakes are squeaking on one of their cars, and he's jacking it up, and he's fixing it. You know, I don't, I don't know anything about that. But they must have thought I was the biggest snob, the way I talked about Alabama is kind of a third world, you know. Sorry if you're from Alabama here. I'm just kidding. I loved it. I loved, we had a son in Alabama. I, I loved it. Uh, it took me about five years to love it, but I loved it. Nathaniel is a snob about Nazareth. And he's not just a snob. He's a little jaded too, isn't he? He's a little cynical. You know anybody like that? Surely I'm never that way. <laughs> I had lunch with Trey on Thursday after going to a, a citywide meeting for this prayer thing that he mentioned. There's uh, a, a church in town that really is, is spurring this movement where they, they want to get 10,000 prayer warriors across the city to pray for 15 people, uh, 15 households, and eventually it's going to pray for every single person in Davidson County in order to spark revival, to bring a, a movement of God that can only come by prayer and through the Holy Spirit. That's an awesome thing, right? Of course, as I'm hearing the presentation, I'm, I'm fighting the urge to roll my eyes. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just fighting that urge to say, really, who's this guy? You know, what is this all about? Is this really going to do anything? 
and, and that's, that's just my cynicism. You know, someone in our church said that cynicism is their spiritual gift, right? Uh, that's just my, my, jaded spiritual, uh, my, my jaded cynicism coming out. And I told Trey at lunch, I was convicted about it, that, that revival is something that I should earnestly, desperately hit my knees every day and plead with God for, with tears in my eyes. And, I, and I'm trying to get to that point. And I told Trey, as you, as you do ministry through the years, don't, don't let yourself get jaded or cynical about what the Lord's doing. Praying for the kingdom, praying for the kingdom to come here in Nashville, that's a wonderful thing. And we're gonna do it. And I'm, I haven't taken a packet yet, but I'm going to and pray all throughout February for my 15 names. And I encourage you to do the same. Nathaniel has his reasons, though. He's not just an elitist, jaded snob. He, he does have some reasons. Nazareth was a town that uh, just 30 years prior to this, there was a guy named Judas of Galilee who came out of Nazareth and, and started a rebellion because of this census that the, the Roman government had imposed on the, the people of Judea, which caused a guy named Joseph and his pregnant fiance to go to Bethlehem. Uh, during that census. So because of that census, this guy said, everybody get your swords, we're gonna go kick the Romans out, we're not gonna go be counted, and started this big rebellion. And Romans didn't take kindly to rebellions, as you know, and they, in response, crucified over a thousand Jewish people. Thanks a lot, Nazareth, right? <laughs> Nazareth, Nazareth was not a popular town after that moment. But Philip doesn't respond harshly when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip doesn't try to argue with him or try to prove that this is Jesus, the Messiah. He was actually not born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, where Micah said he would be born. Instead of arguing with him or, or trying to, to confront him in another cynical type of way, he simply invites him to come and see. Don't take my word for it, he says. Come and examine Jesus for yourself. Come and meet him. Come and experience him for yourself. You know, you, you don't have to have all the answers when you encounter someone who's cynical or jaded. All we're called to simply do is invite them into an experience of Jesus Christ because we actually believe that encountering Jesus will leave you changed. We actually believe that meeting Jesus means you'll never be the same. It, it's an invitation to come and see for yourself. It's actually the same response that Jesus gave to Andrew and, and John, we think, when they ask him, where are you staying? It's such a weird question, isn't it? Jesus says, what are you seeking? That's a deep question. What are you seeking? And instead of answering, they say, where are you staying? Where, where are you staying? And, and Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm staying with the Petersons over on Market Street. They have a lovely home, and it's a, a really nice place. No, look at verse 39. He invited them to come and see. When, when Jesus calls us to, to follow him, he invites us into an experience. He doesn't call us to learn about him. It's, it's not an opportunity to gain some knowledge or some insight into who God is. That's not, that's not really what it's about. Being a disciple isn't about reading your Bible even. It's not even about going to church, that's not the same thing as following Jesus. When we're talking about becoming a disciple of Jesus, we're talking about following him around like Isaiah follows Morgan around. 
We're talking about following Jesus because you love him, because you want to be like him, because you're convinced that living the way that Jesus taught us to live is the best way to thrive and flourish as a human being in this world. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he invites us to die to ourselves and to participate in his resurrected life, to become a whole new kind of human, to be born again as we're going to get to in John 3 when we see Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. He calls us to, to, to give all that we are in order to gain all that he is and to live through him, for him, by him, forever. So Nathaniel goes with Philip, and Philip invites him to come and see, so he goes to experience it. Maybe he's still cynical and jaded, but Jesus sees him and says, hey, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He's guileless. And what does Nathaniel say? Me? No, I, you can't possibly be talking about me. Jesus, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, totally without deceit. That's, that's what I would say. But not Nathaniel. <laughs> he owns it. He says, yep, yeah, that's me. I'm guileless. I have no deceit in me. How did you know me? Nathaniel's so transparent. He's such a what you see is what you get type of guy. You know people like this? Whatever's on their mind, they're going to say it. He doesn't even fake humility here. But he's confused as to how Jesus knew that he was this kind of transparent, you know, deceitless person. But Jesus proceeds to blow his mind just even further. He says, before Philip even called you, while you were just sitting under that tree, I saw you. It's kind of a cryptic statement. Scholars disagree on exactly what Jesus is saying here, but most of them think that when uh, when Nathaniel was under the fig tree, that he had some kind of spiritual experience. Maybe he was under the fig tree thinking about his baptism, that John the Baptist had baptized him, and now he was this new spiritual life that he was living into. Maybe he was praying his prayers, the Shema, the great Jewish prayers that they would pray every day. Or maybe he was thinking about the Messiah that John had just been talking about. Whatever it was, it was a moment between God and Nathaniel, and yet Jesus knew about it. How? Because Jesus is God. We know that from the first chapter of John. So Nathaniel puts two and two together. Look at verse 49 again. He realizes this is the one. He's the son of God. He's the king of Israel who has promised to come, the new David. But then in verse 50, Jesus says, really? You're that impressed? Because I, I, I told you that I saw you under the tree because I'm omniscient. I know everything. Your mind is blown. Man, get ready. Because you haven't seen anything yet. Look at verse 51. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Of all the, the theories of, of what was going on under the fig tree when Nathaniel was under the fig tree, my favorite theory is that he had his Pentateuch scroll, his, the first five books of the law, and he was reading from Genesis about the story of Jacob. Jacob was a deceit-filled person. He only succeeded in life because he cheated. He, he was born by grabbing his brother's heel, Esau. Jacob means by the heel. He tricked his dad into giving him the, the birthright that belonged to his brother. He was full of deceit. 
One translation of this in John says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. That Nathaniel was a Jacobless type Israelite. And the story in Genesis 28 is that Jacob was terrified because his brother Esau was mad about his birthright getting stolen and he was coming to kill him. So Jacob, of course, flees and he runs out in the wilderness and before he knows it, it's dark and he's worn out and he's got no food or shelter and he comes to a, a big valley full of rocks. And look at Genesis 28, it'll be on the screen, verse 11. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. It's pretty miserable having to use a rock for a pillow. That sounds terrible. He's exhausted. He's scared. He's all alone. He's desperate and anxious for how he's going to survive. And, and, and God shows up, and he gives him a vision. In, in verse 12, look, the very next verse, Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God graciously comes to Jacob in the wilderness and gives him this vision. He, he pulls back the curtain of reality and shows him the spiritual forces that are moving and working on his behalf. That there are angels moving between heaven and earth, always working on behalf of God and his children. So when Jesus talks about Jacob's dream, he doesn't mention a ladder. He says that the angels will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus himself will be the ladder, is what he's saying. Jesus himself will provide a, a greater access between the heavenly realms, the heavenly forces, and this fallen world that we live in ever since Genesis 3. He will be a, a, a better guarantee of heavenly access than any other law or any other book or any other prophet before him. Because Jesus himself is going to serve as the bridge between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. He says, you're going to see greater things than even these. We have no earthly idea the vastness of the great things that Jesus has come to bring us. He opens heaven to us. Let me give you three examples just to close today of the heavenly blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. First, we have the, the ministry of angels all around us. Probably one of the most famous missionaries that ever lived was a guy named John Gibson Patton. He was a Scottish missionary in uh, what was then the, the New Hebrides Islands, um, kind of outside of the Philippines and the South Pacific. It's now Vanuatu, uh, the nation of Vanuatu. But he and his wife sailed there and, and they encountered cannibals. The, the, the natives that lived on these islands were, were violent uh, cannibals. They, they ate uh, other warring tribes. They would capture other tribes and sell them into slavery to the New Zealanders and, and other groups. It was a, a really barbaric kind of environment that he found himself in, and he survived many, many attacks on his own life as the natives tried to kill him and his wife Maggie. And one night in particular, on a dark night in the middle of the night, they heard the, the warriors of these cannibal tribes uh, all around their house in the jungle, and they were coming down the path to their house, and so they did the, the only thing that they could do, the most powerful thing they could do, 
they hit their knees in the center of their little hut, and they started to pray. And they just knelt there and prayed for hours. And they, they heard the cries all around their house, and they were certain that they were about to be killed. But in the morning, the, the natives had gone back into the, the jungle, and they, they were completely spared. Their, their house hadn't been touched. And they continued their ministry. They, they taught hygiene and economics, and they, 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 they evangelized, of course. And by God's grace, the chief of the tribe in which they lived became a Christian. He was saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Uh, after about a year after this incident where they were praying in their house. And they were talking, uh, John Patton was talking with him about that night. He said, do you remember that night that the, the warriors were coming and we, we thought we were going to be killed? And the chief said, oh yeah, I was there. We were all surrounding your house and we figured your time was up. And John said, yeah, we did too. Uh, what, what, what happened there? And, and the chief said, well, who, let me ask you, who were all those men that you had with you? And John Patton said, we didn't have anybody with us. It was just me and my wife. He said, no, 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 no. We, we tried to attack you, but there was all these big, shining men with swords that were marching around your house so we couldn't even touch it. That's what happens in the power of prayer and the reality of heaven coming to earth through Jesus is that there are angels ministering on our behalf and we can't see it all the time, but we know through Jesus that it's there. Imagine if we could only see how Jesus is bringing the ministry of angels in our daily lives. It would revolutionize the way we live, right? There'd be no fear. We would live courageously knowing that the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of hosts, is commanding his forces on our behalf. It's the honest truth through Jesus Christ. The second blessing we have is because of Jesus we get to experience the closeness of heaven. It's the hope of heaven that we as Christians hold on to now. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. This is one of my favorite verses. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. They're having a banquet, a party. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Because of Jesus, we get to live with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. We have that hope and that promise of the great banquet that awaits us, of the angels that, that rejoice over us as God's children. We have a citizenship that is secured in heaven that counts more than any citizenship that you have on earth. And we await that time when we will dwell in heaven forever with our Lord. Finally, in Christ, the third thing is that we have the spiritual resources of heaven. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that belong in the heavenly places. We get the blessings of the heavenly places. We now have the deposit for those who are in Christ of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, giving us spiritual gifts, encouraging us, empowering us to live in the grace and mercy of God. Knowing Christ means seeing the unseen. It means having that curtain pulled back a little bit on the reality 
of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that, that are so much greater than any material blessings this world has to offer. If you've been united with Jesus in, in dying to yourself and being born again to new life with Him, then the heavens are open to you. The angels of God are ascending and descending upon our Lord Jesus as the bridge between heaven and earth on our behalf. I pray that we will know that heavenly reality here at Woodmont, both as individuals that you will know that reality and that our church will know that reality and the spiritual blessings and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with it. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you that you came to earth to open heaven to us. We thank you that our Lord Jesus serves as the, the great ladder connecting heaven and earth on which angels minister on our behalf. God, I pray that you would help us to live into that spiritual reality. Help us to understand the power of the blessings that are available to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord now. God, I pray that you would banish fear from our lives. I know people in this church that are going through some tough things right now. I pray that you would help them to access, to know the, the spiritual realities of the blessings that are ours in Jesus. God, we thank you for your word, for the chance to follow you as disciples, to become like you. God, I pray that you would help us travel that path well this year in 2019, that we would be able to follow you, and in doing so, find the joy and the freedom that comes from being your disciple. We love you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Some of you may have not ever been connected to Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered your life and received the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers you by grace through faith. If you want to become a Christian, I'd love to talk with you about that today. There's no better time to do it than now. Don't waste your life another minute longer. If you want to come pray, we're going to have a time to just open the altar up here. If you just want to come pray, something on your heart. If you want to pray with somebody, I'm going to ask Brad if you'll come up here, and, and Trey if you'll come up here, and Jane if you'll come up here. If you want to pray with somebody, they'll, they'll be here to pray for you. If you need healing, if you need comfort, whatever it is that you need, and you want to pray with somebody, they'll be here too. We're going to sing All Christians Be Committed. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church and be a member and say, I'm ready to do life here at Woodmont, then come and talk to me about that now. Whatever it is you need to do, let's stand and sing, Come All Christians, Be Committed.